unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. When people start saying it was illegal for you to destroy the expositor, Joseph Smith agrees to go before a judge. He goes before one Latter-day Saint judge and is acquitted. He goes before a non-Latter-day Saint judge and is acquitted. And at this point, the people outside of Nauvoo are starting to say, there's no way he's going to get a fair trial. The system's rigged in Nauvoo. So bring him to Carthage. And we want him to be put on trial there. And their line is, he'll get a fair trial. But the undercurrent is, if we get him out of Nauvoo, he's not protected and we can kill him. Hey everyone, welcome back to Saints Unscripted. We are stoked to be with you all today. Um, we have our friend Casey Griffiths on the show with us. He is a professor at BYU. He's just he just knows a whole lot of stuff about church history and I mean, he's just packed full of knowledge. So we're really excited to have him with us today. Um, Today is kind of a a subject that's not as fun to talk about, but we are going to be going deeper into kind of the martyrdom of Joseph Smith um, when he was killed. And this episode will be being released about around the time of the anniversary of his death. So this is a video we haven't done before. But um, Casey, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself a little bit, like give... I don't know, like a background? <laughs> Where do you get all your knowledge? Yeah, well, thank you, first <laughs> of all, for saying I have knowledge. Um, I teach church history, and um, I have interest in Carthage Jail, partially because a couple of years ago, a writing partner of mine and I, Mary Jane Woodger, we decided to write a book called A History of the Church in 100 Objects. So there's a whole bunch of books out there like that. There's a history of the world in 100 objects, and a history of America in 100 objects, and a history of baseball in 100 objects. Objects. Uh-huh. And we just thought it'd be interesting to do a history of the church in 100 objects. So as we started going through and selecting the objects and contacting people, we noticed there was a lot of objects linked to the death of Joseph and Hiram Smith. And a lot of these objects are kind of linked to like myths about the martyrdom or offer insights into the final moments of of Joseph and Hiram's life. And so it became kind of a subset that I was interested in when the book was published. And by the way, our publisher cut us from 100 down to 50. (laughs) So it was 50 relics of the restoration. I think five or six of the 50 objects were linked to the martyrdom. And in studying those and, and looking at some really good research by some really great scholars, I think it gave me some some insights into the last moments of Joseph Smith's life and what we know and, and what we don't know and what we can't know about how he died and, and what exactly happened that day. So we've got a lot of audience who are both investigating the church, people who are recent converts of the church. So for those who are not super familiar with this, um, let's kind of just go through a little bit of just kind of the basic history. Can we start with that? Just like what led up to it, a little timeline of of how this all happened. Okay. So basic timeline, um, if you want to do the expanded version, um, Joseph Smith starts running for president in 1844. So he's, mm-hmm. he's running for president. He runs on a platform to annex Texas to end slavery and to reduce the pay of members of Congress. And some of these things are going to make him popular. Some of these things are going to make him very unpopular. Mm-hmm. To simplify things, he controls a key voting block in a swing state. So with the last couple elections, we can all kind of appreciate the idea okay. of a swing state, yeah. right? So that raises his national profile and also increases the desires of people that don't like him to kind 
kind of take him out of the picture. Because a lot of people see the church as a rising force in American politics, and there's this theory that if Joseph Smith is is killed, the church will just kind of disintegrate. Okay. Now, that's the outside of Nauvoo. There's also people inside of Nauvoo that don't like Joseph Smith and want him to be killed. And so this faction is led primarily by a guy named William Law and his brother Wilson Law. And these guys don't like um, some of Joseph Smith's teachings, like a plurality of gods. Joseph Smith starts teaching that there's multiple gods, that there's, for instance, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Mm-hmm. And they don't like that idea. You know, they're monotheistic and they see this as as blasphemous. Joseph Smith is instead arguing from the Bible to basically say, no, the Bible teaches the same thing that everybody has the potential to become like God. Right. Um, And the other thing that that they don't like is plural marriage. William Law pleads with Joseph Smith not to practice plural marriage. Joseph Smith insists, I I have to, it's a revelation. And this causes them to basically come into conflict. So there's people outside of Nauvoo that don't like Joseph Smith because they think he has too much power. And there's people inside Nauvoo that don't like Joseph Smith because of the revelations he's receiving. And it's kind of a collaboration between the two that leads to Carthage jail and Joseph Smith's death. Yeah, because William Law, he was actually in the first presidency. Yeah. So he must have had somewhat of a close relationship yeah, with he, Joseph. He, he's one of Joseph Smith's close friends. And um, I mean, he's excommunicated in April of 1844. And at that point, he starts his own church and basically decides the only way to kind of save the church is to kill Joseph and Hiram. Mm. And it's pretty clear from that point on that that's the end goal that he's going for. But he has a couple different means of going about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So so one of the things that he does is publish the Nauvoo Expositor, which you guys have done a pretty good video on already. We're going to look at the controversy surrounding the destruction of the Nauvoo Expositor. Um, yeah. Maybe we can put a link in the, in the <laughs> Yeah, we'll link below. that yeah. in for sure. Um, but the Nauvoo Expositor is this newspaper that's published in Nauvoo uh, that basically, you know, is them saying, we're going to expose all the wickedness in the church. We don't like plurality of gods. We think that Joseph Smith is is trying to take over the country, and we don't like plural marriage. And the expositor basically gives the people outside of Nauvoo that don't like Joseph Smith the ammo that they need to go after him, basically. Mm -hmm. So one of the controversial things that happens is Joseph and the other members of the Nauvoo City Council see the expositor as something that could provide people outside of Nauvoo for for an excuse to attack Nauvoo. So they meet together in a city council meeting. These meetings take place over two days They're several hours long, and they deliberate about what to do. Now, a lot of people bring up the expositor because the the town council eventually decides to destroy the press, that the expositor is public nuisance. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, that raises issues of freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Mm -hmm. One thing that kind of gets overlooked is that the city council actually publishes all the minutes of their decision on the expositor. So they're trying to be as transparent as possible to say, here's the reasons why we decided to do this. We believe in freedom of the press, but you've all heard that saying that you can't shout fire in a public theater, right? And not go to jail. They believe what the expositor was doing was deliberately designed to inflame the enemies of the church and put Nauvoo in trouble. And so they point out in the minutes a couple of things that they do. Number one, they consult Black's Law Dictionary. They, they get out a legal text to basically say, what is a public nuisance? The law says that a nuisance can be ended. Um, is, does the expositor fit this? And they go through and basically say, yeah, on all these counts, it does. The second thing that shows up prominently in the minutes is the words Hans Mill. 
So a lot of them are saying, this is what happened in Missouri a couple of years earlier when Hans Bell was attacked and 18 people are killed. Oh, okay. That yeah. the rumors about us were inflamed until the local militia attacked. And so the, it's not like an emotional, get your torch and go down and burn they the expositor like, office. No, no, no. <laughs> no they, they, no. they spend a couple of days deliberating and then mm -hmm. finally the council votes and says the expositor is a public nuisance. It needs to be destroyed. And they send the sheriff who serves a warrant and then an organized policy is the one that destroys the expositor press. So it's not a mob action, which is sometimes depicted as. Yeah, I've always heard oh, like, yeah. it was a mob and it was like against the law and it was just another thing to defame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've always heard. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, they're, they're aware that it's going to look bad if they destroy the expositor press, but they just I'm sit sure. down and make the decision of it'll be worse if we don't. Like George Laub, who's in Nauvoo, actually walks up to Joseph and says, was it necessary to destroy the press? He said Joseph looked at him and very sincerely said, if we hadn't done that, the streets of Nauvoo would have run red with blood. That he felt like the expositor was going to cause the same kind of settlement that caused Hans Mill and Far West and all the horrible things that happened in Missouri to happen. Wow. So that's their clear motive. Now, a second part of this is that a legal scholar in the 20th century, a guy named Dallin H. Oaks, you probably heard of, um, actually was bugged by the expositor episode two. So he's a young legal student. He's like us, you know, he's... Oh, he wrote a book on that. Yeah, yeah, he wrote, yeah. A, he wrote a whole book on it basically to say, it seems bad to me. Was it bad based on the laws of the time? At the time, there was no legal statute that protected freedom of the press like that. And then he found three other cases in the 19th century where city councils did the same thing. Uh, a newspaper was publishing really? stuff that they said was inflammatory, that they thought was dangerous. So there was legal precedent for it. Um, it it's not a question of whether or not the destruction of the expositor press was legal. It's a question of whether or not it was it was wise. And it seems like from the statements Joseph Smith made, he knew that it was going to cause problems, but he felt like the alternative was worse. That... Destroying the expositor press could put him as the mayor of Nauvoo into danger, but not destroying it would put the whole Everyone. city mm -hmm. into danger. Like the so he felt like he felt like he had to act, basically. Gotcha. And I mean, the expositors claiming plurality of gods and plural marriage. I've had students before say, why didn't they just publicly announce plural marriage? Um, my answer is usually because when plural marriage was publicly announced by the expositor, 20 days later, Joseph Smith is dead. He knows, um, he knows how difficult plural marriage is for, for this Victorian society. Mm -hmm. And so the practice was, was really um, kept quiet and private until Utah when they were sort of a little bit more protected from, from the local society, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the expositor is the spark that lights the fuse that leads to Joseph going to Carthage jails. 20 days after the expositor is published, okay. he's in Carthage jail and he and Hiram are, are killed while they're there. Okay, so that was kind of what got, like, they had to go to Carthage to basically await trial for, it was, was it trial specifically for the expositor? Well, that, that's, or is a, that like, that's another misunderstanding is he goes to trial and is acquitted twice. So um, when people start saying it was illegal for you to destroy the expositor, Joseph Smith agrees to go before a judge. He goes before one Latter-day Saint judge and is acquitted. He goes before a non-Latter-day Saint judge and is acquitted. And at this point, the people outside of Nauvoo are starting to say, there's no way he's going to get a fair trial. The system's rigged in Nauvoo. Right. So bring him to Carthage. And we wanted to put on trial there. And their line is he'll get a fair trial. But the undercurrent is if we get him out of Nauvoo, he's not protected and we can kill him. Because another kind of um, factor that needs to be understood here is in the early American Republic, there's really not a big army and navy, if that makes sense. The army is really, really small. What the founders intended was that each town would have its, militia, its own militia unit. It was yeah. kind of like a National Guard unit, right? Okay. And if America gets attacked, all the militias get called up and all of a sudden we have a big, huge army 
that can go fight. But that also means that every town has kind of its own personal army. So there's an army in Warsaw, there's a militia unit in Carthage, and these guys are the ones that really want Joseph Smith dead because they fear the power that Nauvoo is gaining. Like the main guy outside the church who's responsible for Joseph Smith's death is named Thomas Sharp. Mm -hmm. And he lives in a town downriver called Warsaw that's kind of competing with Nauvoo to be the main commercial center on the upper Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And so Sharp really doesn't do anything about the church until he loses an election to a church member and starts to realize if Latter-day Saints keep gathering to Nauvoo, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to win an election. And at that point, he starts criticizing the church and calling for Joseph Smith's death and trying to figure out a way to just make this whole Latter-day Saint thing go away. So all these militia units are there and they can attack Joseph Smith, but Nauvoo has a militia too. So after what happened to the Saints of Missouri, um, they create the Nauvoo Legion, which is this really big militia unit because Nauvoo is a really big city. And while Joseph Smith's in Nauvoo, they believe that he's safe because the Nauvoo Legion will protect him. So a lot of these machinations are just to get him out of Nauvoo and into Carthage where he won't be protected by the Nauvoo Legion or he won't be protected by the legal system that exists in Nauvoo too. So, I mean, Joseph Smith willingly went to trial Two yeah, times, yeah. basically. And at that point, when they're insisting he has to be extradited from Nauvoo to Carthage, that's when he turns to Hiram and says, it looks like, I mean, he knows the fix is in, that if he goes to Carthage, he's probably going to get killed. So this is the point where he says to Hiram, let's leave. They really want me and they want you. So why don't we leave Nauvoo and let's see if that deflates the situation. So it seems like everything Joseph Smith is doing is trying to deflate mm -hmm. He's trying to protect the people. He's trying to do what he can to sort of put down the violence and make sure that what happened in Missouri doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. In fact, right before he goes to Carthage, he turns to Dan Jones, who's with him, and says, if I don't go to Carthage, they'll reenact the horrible scenes that happened in Missouri. I love the people of Nauvoo too much to allow that to happen again. So this, the specter of Hans Mill is haunting all this stuff. And that motivates Joseph Smith to do a lot of the things that he does during this time. He's trying to prevent another Hans Mill from happening. So he was really between a rock and a hard place yeah. there. Yeah, he really was. Wow. He really was. So his, his plan initially is me and Hiram will leave. They actually cross the Mississippi River. They're only there for a couple of hours when a boat arrives with people from Nauvoo who accuse him of abandoning them. And this really um, hurts Joseph. Uh, he turns to Hiram and says, Hiram, you're the older brother. What should we do? Hiram says, let's go back. I'm sure the legal system will protect us. According to people that are there, Joseph turns to Hiram and says, they will butcher us. Like, we're, we're, we're going to have to offer up our lives. we we'll go back. But they go back. Um, that's where that whole scene happens when he gets back where he meets with Emma. Emma asks for a blessing. Joseph, according to some accounts, tells Emma to, to raise their sons well. And Emma kind of breaks down saying, you're coming back. Like Joseph Smith has been through so much stuff yeah. and been in so many kind of tight situations that they just can't believe that he's not going to get out of this. Right. And that seems to have fueled a big part of the desire in Nauvoo to say, let's, let's just send you to Carthage and see what happens. But in Carthage, plans are afoot to, to make sure that he doesn't leave Carthage alive. Wow. And how long were they in Carthage before all that happened. So only only about three days, really. 
So um, yeah. they get there, and now the whole thing is looking like it's going to turn into sort of like a quasi-war. So the governor of Illinois brings a bunch of militia from other towns. He brings all this neutral militia that really doesn't have a dog in the fight mm -hmm. to Carthage, and they're supposed to keep the peace. When Joseph Smith arrives there, however, the militia from the two other towns that really want him dead, that's Warsaw, and Carthage are there too. And William Law is in Carthage too. Like William Law is running around apparently telling people Joseph Smith is never going to come out of this jail alive. So it's clear what William Law's intentions oh were too. Um, so the governor gets there and according to John Taylor, Joseph Smith and the governor have this big, huge conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, and the governor basically says, okay, you acted legally, but you shouldn't have destroyed the paper. That was dumb. Joseph Smith says, here's the reasons why we feel like we had to do that. The governor says, well, you shouldn't have done it and you're responsible for everything that's happening here. Uh, and then the governor basically says, I'm going to go to Nauvoo and talk to them myself. And when he goes, he takes almost all of the neutral militia with him. So now it's kind of the fox guarding the hen house mm -hmm. where the only people that are left are the Carthage militia. He dispatches the Warsaw militia. And now the people that are guarding the jail are people that have a stake in Joseph Smith's death. So this is enough of a, I mean, it's it's possible wow. that, that Ford was either really naive and misread the situation. Uh, some people believe that Ford might have been complicit in Joseph Smith's death. Yeah. Uh, we don't really know. Um, and I, I've i kind of heard him compare, sorry, I've heard him compared to like Pilate almost, yeah. where like <laughs> that, he that, washes his hands of it. That, that, his... That's how the early saints thought of him. Like he couldn't have been this dumb. He must have known what was going to happen. I prefer to give Ford the benefit of the doubt and say maybe he just didn't quite understand the forces that were present there in Hancock County because yeah. he's an outsider. He does go to Nauvoo. He gives this really insulting speech uh, where he basically says, it's your fault. You should be praying saints and not armed saints when the saints are basically saying, we're just trying to protect our property. And by the way, before Joseph Smith goes to uh, Carthage, he gives a speech to the Nauvoo Legion, their big militia unit, where he basically says, I don't want you to, to try and rescue me. I don't want you to fight. We, we need to just keep the situation as calm and peaceful as possible. So that's another evidence that Joseph Smith is trying to diffuse the situation. He tells the Nauvoo, because he could have rode into town with 2,000 troops at his back, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, he takes a small group of people to the jail and no real armed guard uh, to protect him while he's there. Okay. So again, everything everything that I can see is that Joseph Smith is trying to diffuse yeah. things he's trying to calm things down but he gets kind of backed into this corner where it does seem very likely that he's gonna he's gonna be killed wow and on the way to carthage that's when he says to john taylor the statement i'm going as a lamb to the slaughter mm -hmm. and it shall be yeah. said of me he was killed in cold blood so it seems like he knew what was going to happen yeah. mm -hmm. um, there's some evidence that after he talked to the governor he may have thought okay maybe this will work out after all uh, but it doesn't uh, work out after all so when they are in Carthage, it's him, Hiram, John Taylor, and was there a fourth? There yeah. Was a fourth person. So the four that are there the whole time are Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, John Taylor, and Willard Richards. Willard There's Richards, other people right. that come in and out the whole time, like uh, Dan Jones, who's this little uh, Welsh convert converted by ancestors. He's there right oh, until uh, the morning <laughs> of the martyrdom. Um, Samuel Smith, Joseph's brother, is there part of the time. And people come and visit him from Nauvoo. Uh, for instance, one of the controversial aspects of the martyrdom is that Joseph and Hiram Smith had weapons when they're in Carthage. Mm -hmm. A guy named Cyrus Willock, um, who's, a, who's a captain in the Nauvoo Legion, uh, smuggles in two two guns, a single shot pistol and a pepper box pistol, which a pepper box pistol is like a six shooter, but like an 
like an old timey one that has actually six different barrels that are still breech loaded. Oh, yeah. And, and he gives those to Joseph. They both look at them and say, we'd really rather not have these, but then they decide, but we might have trouble. So let's let's keep them. And that's why there's weapons in Carthage shell when the mob attacks. I don't know. Oh, I, don't I didn't know that. The exact same ones, but in the Church History Museum. We're pretty sure that the single shot pistol is the genuine article. Mm -hmm. There's actually three different pistols that claim to be the pepper box pistol Joseph Smith used in wow. Carthage jail. Um, up until 2015, they had a big, huge one called the Dragoon pistol. Um, but the church history library it redid its whole exhibit. When they did that, they took the gun out and they examined it and they found out that the firing mechanism on it was patented in 1845. Yeah. And so unless there was some kind of time travel involved, that wasn't the pistol. So they went to one of the two others. And one significant thing is that the one that they now think is the pepper box pistol is real small. Mm -hmm. Like if you could see it, it's about this big. And it fires about a 32 caliber bullet. And so it's the sort of thing that would produce a lot of smoke and and noise that would frighten somebody. Um, but we don't think, I mean, it, it's not the sort of caliber weapon that's being fired back at them, which were, I mean, mm -hmm. big bullets from the time. Right. And so we think that's the pepper box pistol. And yeah, if you want to go see that, that's on display yeah. in the Church History Museum. It was, it was super cool. Yeah. I yeah. recommend everyone to <laughs> check it out. Like it's... I was yeah. mind blown the whole time. And if you get the chance too, when I um, I went a couple summers ago to visit uh, Carthage Jail, mm -hmm. and being there just was incredibly powerful and something that I won't forget. Mm -hmm. You know, you you actually see the bullet hole through the door. Yeah, um, you're in the room, and it's just like it just makes it feel so much more real. And like I think of the song like a poor wayfaring man of grief. Like they sang that, they knew that this was coming. They just the way it played out is, um, it's powerful in yeah. a way. Um, so they, they were in there, they were, they, they sang the song and, and what ended up happening was the, the mob did come. There were people outside mm -hmm. the window. They were people that came up the stairs in the jail, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they kind of tried to fight them off, but. So if you want to understand the martyrdom, uh, going to Carthage jail is really, really helpful. And if you can't yeah. go to Carthage jail, if you can't go to Carthage jail, it helps, like, you can the contact them and they will it. do a virtual tour. Like sister missionaries really? will, wow. will put a, a an iPhone <laughs> on a monopod and they'll walk you through the whole jail. Yeah, you don't need to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Just do that. Um, I, I, was, I, was, I was in uh, Carthage last week uh, with really? a group, for instance. Cool. And one of the things that a tour through the jail illustrates is that they're in danger the whole time they're in the jail. And the jailer realizes that the jailer is is named george uh, steagle and it seems like he's a pretty decent guy because when a person sees carthage jail looks like a house right yeah uh, it's it straight up just looks like a and, house. and that's because it's the steagle's house like the room that joseph and harm are murdered in is the steagle's bedroom mm -hmm. and the reason why they're in the bedroom is because they have a cell down on the bottom floor which is called the debtor cell and that's initially where joseph is kept but it's ground level and it's got windows and the jailer is concerned that somebody's going to shoot in the windows. Oh. So Joseph Smith spends the first night there and the jailer's too worried that he's going to get shot. So he takes him upstairs and upstairs there's a jail cell that has, you know, no windows. It's really dark and dank. It's kind of like in the hallway. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. It's like, right. It's really narrow and, and super dark. Um, and they put them in there, but that's not super comfortable. And so the jailer actually offers... Uh, to have Joseph and Hiram take his bedroom, which is the room wow. they're in when they're killed. And so you can see the jailer who's reading the situation saying, oh my gosh, this is an incredibly hostile moment. Why don't I move them upstairs so they're a little bit more safe? Then he moves them into the jail cell. 
says, this is really harsh. Um, let's move him into the bedroom. Uh, but right before they're killed, actually, the jailer comes upstairs and says, do you want to move into the jail cell so that it's more secure? And Joseph said they were planning on doing that after dinner. But the the mob, and that's another thing we've got to address is the use of the word mob to describe the people that attack the jail. Um, the mob comes and attacks the jail while they're still in the bedroom. And the reason why I bring that up is we use the term mob, but a mob sort of denotes that it's a spontaneous gathering of people that are just it's disorganized. Yeah, they're a loose know, mob. Kind they're of so they're so mad that they want to go and uh, take this guy out. It's not a mob. We, I mean, we know pretty much who was in the mob when they attacked mm -hmm. the jail. It's the Warsaw it's militia. Yeah. yeah, the militia. So Thomas Sharp um, goes back to Warsaw once the governor says go home and reorganizes the militia. We know the place that they met. We know the speeches that they gave. We know that one of the things they said was Joseph Smith is running for president. And if he doesn't get into the White House in 1844, he surely will in 1848. So we got to kill him right now. And they come and attack the jail. And I mean, there's actually a trial held for six people that are complicit in Joseph Smith's death that were at the jail. Like no one disputes this. Um, so in my classes, I go back and forth between it's a mob attack, which is kind of a more gentle way to say it, and saying it's just an outright assassination. And it's probably more accurate to say it's an assassination because it was planned with malice of forethought. Uh, the people that attacked were armed militia that had training, that knew what they were doing and had, uh, it seems, a forethought plan of attack on the jail. So they weren't just random angry citizens. They knew the jail. They knew the structure. They broke into two groups, one to stay outside the jail to keep the men from escaping and one to go into the jail. And almost every shot with, we think, one exception that hits the man in the jail is fired from the doorway of the, the group that went into the jail and shot from the doorway. Okay. So you mentioned it was an assassination. What defines it as like a modern assassination, like that kind of general area? What's... Well, I mean, on my side of things, I'm saying it's an assassination because it was planned and organized. Yeah. It wasn't a spontaneous emotional act. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's some people that say it's not a martyrdom because Joseph Smith fights back. I mean, the dictionary definition of a martyr is someone that dies for what they believe. I know. That's what I thought. Yeah, like, does yeah. it matter if they fight back? Or well, I, and I mean, here's here's the exact circumstance. So they come to the doorway. Joseph Smith and the others close the door. Um, they start firing into the door and Hiram Smith is killed. According to Willard Richards, Hiram Smith is hit by a ball that comes in from outside the jail and then is hit in the face. And if you look at Hiram's death mask, yeah. which is in the Church History Museum, yeah. too, you can see where they had to plug the hole with the piece of cotton. Hiram falls to the ground and says, I am a dead man. According to John Taylor, Joseph Smith runs over to him and says, oh, dear brother Hiram. And then at that point pulls out the pepper box pistol. Okay. So it's not just that Joseph Smith fired back at the attackers. First of all, if 200 people are coming to kill you and you have a gun and you fire back, that doesn't, and they make, get your you, brother. That doesn't <laughs> make you a bad guy, right? You're Secondly, it. at this point, Hiram was dead. So he knew that their intention was to kill them. Joseph Smith takes the um, pepper box pistol and according to John Taylor, he puts it around the edge of the door and he just fires blindly. Mm -hmm. um, according to both John Taylor and Willard Richards, the pepper box pistol, which has six chambers, has three chambers misfire, three chambers fire, which wasn't that uncommon with that kind of weapon. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, one thing that we miss is, okay, if this disqualifies him as a martyr, I don't think it does based on the classical definition of a martyr. Secondly, the men who are coming to kill them are cowards. They think that everybody in the jail is unarmed. Joseph Smith's actions that he took to fire back against the mob probably saved the life 
of John Taylor and Willard Richards. Oh, wow. Uh, the mob, for whatever reason, never comes into the bedroom, as far as we can tell. And what causes them to pause? That they don't know what kind of weaponry they have. That Joseph Smith fired back at them. Yeah, we don't know if Joseph Smith scared them a little bit. Yeah, we don't know if Joseph Smith hit anybody because nobody was willing to say, "Yeah, I was at Carthage Jail and I got shot by Joseph Smith." Oh, uh, so all kinds of rumors surround it. But his action that he took was in defense of himself and his friends. Yeah, I don't think that disqualifies him as a martyr. So another controversial aspect of the martyrdom: John Taylor runs to the window. As he's running to the window, he's panicking, I would guess. He's thinking, maybe I can jump out. This is what he says later on. I was thinking maybe I could escape through the window and we'd find somebody in town that could help us. Mm-hmm. On his way to the window, he's hit, uh, probably from someone firing from the doorway. That causes him to collapse and fall forward. The way John Taylor remembered it was that I was going to fall out the window, but something pushed me back in. Oh. And he believed later on that his pocket watch, which he found later later on, which was completely smashed, had been hit by a bullet. Oh, and that wow. it pushed him back into the jail. Now, some friends of mine that do forensics have taken, you know, a similar pocket watch and a similar caliber rifle and fired at it. And the pocket watch just blew up like it shouldn't have stopped the bullet. And so the theory now isn't that the pocket watch was hit. It was that John Taylor fell and hit into the window still so hard that it shattered the pocket watch at 5.16 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, John Taylor wasn't lying. I think he genuinely thought that the pocket watch was hit. It's just that now with forensics, we don't think that that happened. If it did happen and the pocket watch deflected the bullet, total miracle. John Taylor, just to show how bad it is when he hits the ground, is hit two more times in the wrist and in the leg. And he rolls over under the bed and he's... He's down for the count. And he openly admits, I didn't see what happened after this. Yeah. The only person left in the room that is Joseph and Willard. And at this point, Joseph goes to the window. Now, another myth is that you often see this depicted as he's hit and he falls out the window. But the base of the window in Carthage Jail is 32 inches wide. And so it's very, very unlikely that he just would have fallen out the window. Um, According to some people that testified in the trial of the murderers, they say either he climbed up in the window or he leapt from the window. So we don't know why he did this, and we won't be able to know until we can talk to him personally. (laughs) But let's run a couple scenarios. Hiram's dead. John Taylor and Willard Richards aren't under indictment. They don't have to be there. They just voluntarily were there. Um, Joseph knows they're coming for him and, and Hiram. Is it possible that he gets up in the window and and throws himself out the window because he knows they're coming after him? Now, it's possible that he did the same thing as John Taylor. He panicked and was trying to escape. Or it's possible that in the last moments of his life, he recognizes that they're coming to murder him. Yeah. And he puts himself in a position where he exits the jail. Uh, he gets hit two times from outside. The people outside are eager to see a target. Uh, two shots are fired from the doorway and he falls out the window. If his plan was to leave the jail and draw the attackers away, it does work. Everybody that's in the jail leaves and runs downstairs to see his body where they fire into him four more times. Um, oh. Joseph's last words are, Oh Lord, my God. And even those words are, are controversial because some people have tried to say, well, what was he saying there? Was he issuing a Masonic call for help or was he just calling out to God or was it both? Uh, but, but I mean, giving Joseph the benefit of the doubt, I would like to think that the last actions of his life are to save the other people. If, yeah. if that was his intention, like I said, it does work. Willard Richards runs over the window to see if Joseph is alive, sees that he's gone, and then he's able to grab John Taylor and drag him into the next room. He's fully expecting the mob to come back and murder both of them. So he covers up John Taylor kind of pathetically with these little mattresses and leans down and says, John, you have to live. You have to tell the story 
of what happened here. And then credit Willie Richards for bravery. He takes his little cane. That's all he has. And he goes and he stands in the doorway because he's wow. expecting the mob to come back and kill him. The mob never comes back. In fact, the whole story that it's taken us a half hour to go through, according to Willard Richards, takes place in two minutes. Uh, after about 15 minutes, Willard Richards gingerly goes downstairs and and finds that the mob is scattered and Joseph's body's been left behind. So wow. it's a crazy, crazy story. And oh my gosh, I could probably talk for like six more hours about <laughs> different aspects of the martyrdom. But I do think that the last moments of Joseph Smith's life qualify him as a martyr. He was reading the Book of Mormon the day that he died. Um, he told multiple people, I'm going to Carthage uh, to die for what I believe and to protect others. And I think that the last moment of his life was to ensure that those two that were in the jail um, could survive. I think that every action he took was to try and protect the people around him and, and make sure that they survived to the point to where I believe he willingly gave up his life uh, to, to protect them. Wow. Yeah. That's that's perspective that's new to me. So just thinking about all the things that Joseph did, like maybe it wasn't obvious at the time, but looking back, like he really was looking out for those around him, yeah. which is very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for yeah. sharing this with us today. Um, we've learned a lot. So if you guys have any questions for him, please put them in the comments. And you're on podcast, right? On, on <laughs> yeah. you have Book of Mormon Central. You've got. I I I I worked with Book of Mormon Central, and we set up a site called Doctrine Covenant Central. Oh really? Um, oh. Yeah, on Doctrine Covenant Central. Just so you know, out there, um, for Section 35, we place the accounts from Willard Richards and John Taylor. They're a little hard to find, especially John Taylor's. So we put them right there. Okay. So anybody that has anybody that has questions video. about the martyrdom, just go and read what Willard Richards and John Taylor say. It happens so fast. I'm not saying we got every detail right, but they're eyewitnesses of the martyrdom really. The two most reliable sources we have to determine what went on in Carthage Shell that right. day. Uh, they were there. Yeah. We saw it. Very cool. Well, um, thank you again. And yeah. everyone, as always, we like to say, like and subscribe. Turn on that notification button. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We're always so awkward every time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.